Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. The bottom of 8.30, first among the factors. First among the factors that arouse love and fear and their foundation is a pure and faithful belief in the unity and oneness of God. May he be blessed and exalted. Oneness here means that all of creation is united with God and utterly nullified to him. That is to say, pure faith in God's unity is the starting point and foundation of one's meditation on Yehuda Yilah, higher level unity, and Yehuda Hatzah, lower level unity. And this meditation in turn leads to the love and fear of him. These are truths that transcend intellect and that can be perceived only through faith. At the same time, utilizing faith for something that can be comprehended is making use of the wrong faculty. Intellect must grasp that which is within the reach of intellect, and faith must be used to apprehend that which transcends intellect. When within belief, there is a mingling of the rational and the super-rational. When truths that are accessible to comprehension are confused with things that defy comprehension, such belief is not pure. For pure belief deals only with that which transcends rationality. It is only when one utilizes his intellect to comprehend all that is subject to comprehension, and this power of faith is then utilized solely for that which defies intellect. Such faith can then be deemed pure faith. Since both categories are represented in the subject of God's unity and oneness, it becomes necessary to explain those aspects of the subject that are capable of being comprehended so that one's faith will be pure relating only to those matters that entirely transcend comprehension. Okay, so the foundation of a Jew's relationship with God is the belief in the unity of God, not the belief in one God. That is elementary, but the belief that there's only one reality, the unity of God, that there is no other reality but God. It is almost as if a Jew has a sixth sense. You know, try, to, try describing to a blind person who's born blind what sight is like. It's impossible because he simply doesn't have it within them. A person who sees knows what seeing is because they have it within them. Well, the Jew has almost like a sixth sense within them because we're born with a Jewish soul which we receive from our Jewish mother where those who convert halachically. And this soul has an innate faith in Hashem. We are called the believers, the children of believers. We inherit this faith. Automatically, by fiat, by the fact that we are born Jewish, we automatically inherit a holy soul, a Jewish soul, that innately, instinctively knows God, knows the inner reality of God, knows the unity of God, that there is no other reality but God. And that explains why a Jew tries to find in everything, a Jew tries to find a miraculous explanation. Even in the most seemingly natural events, a Jew will always find a miracle within nature. While the rational, logical person will, even in a miracle, find nature. Well, high tide, low tide. <laughs> even in the greatest miracle, the most uh, mouth-opening miracle, it, uh, well, we'll find some rationalization, some logical explanation, some scientific explanation. While the Jews is the opposite. Even the most innocuous event will see the miracle, see the hand of God, Baruch Hashem, thank Hashem. Because... It's so inherent within us. It's so innate within us. The belief in the unity of God. That's why a Jew every step of the way will say, Baruch Hashem. What does Hashem have to do with anything? I'm asking how your business is going. Baruch Hashem, no good. But Baruch Hashem? <laughs> what, does Hashem what does Hashem have to do with how, how are your health? How is your health? How is your wife? How are your kids? How are your family? How? Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. What does Hashem have to do with anything? We're not, this is not Shabbos and Shul. It's not Yom Kippur. It's not Sukkot. We're talking business here. You write a letter, a Jew right in the beginning writes Beis Samagdalat, Besiyata Deshemaya with Hashem's help. What does Hashem have to do with anything? But Hashem has to do with everything because it permeates the life of a Jew. Like the f famous the story of, um, it was a chassid, his name was Rabbi Binyamin Kletzker. He lived, he was a chassid of the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya. And he was an extremely wealthy businessman. And he was considered like a billionaire when rubles had value. And um, at the end of the day, like many times he would be standing at, at the, at the um, 
harbor where ships came in, you know, he had international business, and, and he would get lost in thought. Suddenly, in the middle of the harbor, in the middle of the tumult, he would get lost for hours thinking about, thinking about the thoughts, the concepts that Alter Rebbe is explaining here in the Tanya. The unity of God, and, the, and he would become oblivious to his surroundings. And one, of, and one of his friends were shocked. He says, how is it possible? You're standing in the middle of, of the wharf. You're standing in the middle of the, of the harbor. And we know the tumult and the noise. And, and you're totally lost. In the middle of business, suddenly you get lost and you're oblivious where you are. And you start thinking very deeply about the unity of God and, and the tense we wrote and the infinite, and etc. He says, you're shocked on that. He says, I'm shocked on something else. I'm shocked. How is it possible that you could be standing in Shul in the middle of Shemun Esrei and your mind is at the wharf, your mind is at the, at the docks, your mind is at, with your ships, with your business. That's what I'm shocked at. If you can think about your, your ships and your docks standing in Shul, standing in front of Hashem or Shemun Esrei, then I can think about Hasidic thoughts thinking in the middle of business. Anyway, at the end of the day, when he would, um, he would make a calculation of all his business that day. And he would write, you know, he'd have a whole bunch of numbers. And he would add it up. And at the end he would write, the sum total is three Hebrew words. Ein oid movade. There is no other reality but God. So his colleagues were a little perplexed. He says, listen, we don't get it. If ein oid movade, if there's nothing but God, why do you have numbers on top of the page? You should have God, 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 God equals is nothing but God. If you have numbers on the top of the page, you have to have the number on the bottom of the page. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not consistent. She says, no, but that's the whole point. Business is business, numbers are numbers. But the bottom line is, what's the sum total? What's it all about? What's underlying? What's underneath it all? What's it all about? There's no other reality but God. Everything in the world is just a metaphor. It's just a metaphor for godliness. There's no other reality but God. Not only when you're secluded in the Beis HaMedrash and the Beis HaKnesses and the learning and davening, when you're living in Jerusalem behind closed walls, behind closed doors, but when you're doing business. If there's nothing but God, there's nothing but God on Wall Street, there's nothing but God in, 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 in the newsrooms, there's nothing but God in, in Washington, there's nothing but God, period. In the arts, in music, there's nothing. It permeates every aspect of reality. Every cell of existence, every ounce of existence, every possible experience is permeated, saturated with the re- truth and reality that there's nothing but God. But in order to truly understand that, you have to engage your mind. Because if you don't engage your mind, what are you saying? God exists everywhere except in the mind. In other words, to believe in God, I have to have a naive faith. I have to be a person who's a vegetable, who can't think, who's dumb, who... Who, who intentionally chooses to be dumb and play not childlike, but childish, be childish. Because if a person will develop his intellect, intellect is a contradiction to the belief in the unity of God. Because the whole assumption of intellect is I. What's the underlying assumption of intellect? I. You are detached. I will observe. I'm brilliant. I'm logical. I'll figure it out. So intellect, by definition, is a contradiction to the faith to the faith in the absolute unity of God. Because intellect, by definition, is I. But that, then that's a contradiction to the truth that there's no other reality but God. Because you're saying there's no other reality but God if you're naive, if you play dumb, if you're childish. But if you're intellectual and you have a very deep thinking mind and, and you can think for yourself, you can't. You're too smart, too intelligent to be so naive and so innocent and so pure and so whole. You know, intellectuals, by definition, understand that life is a compromise and, and you can't be so naive and so totally devoted and dedicated and passionate. You have to be cool. You have to be detached. Don't take it so seriously. So it seems as if the intellect is a contradiction and conflict to faith. And therefore, it's a contradiction to the faith that is not the reality but God. Because in the world of intellect, godliness, the absolute unity of God, cannot permeate in the world of intellect. In the world of, of academia, in the world of university, in the world of high thinking, in the world of deep thinking, in the world of profound thinking. You can't be a profound thinker and at the same time be a man of faith. And yet this is the whole essence of the Chabad movement. Chabad is an acronym for Chochmah Bin Das. Wisdom, understanding and knowledge. 
And just having learned the 53 chapters of the first port, you see that Alter Rebbe goes very deep. It, it engages your mind. It's not enough just to have pure faith. To have pure faith, you have to fully engage your mind. And you have to meditate and think very deeply about the reality that there's no other reality but God. And perceive it and internalize it and integrate it and try to understand it to the utmost of your ability. Because the, the very belief that there's no other reality but God forces me forces me and tells me that they can't be, intellect cannot contradict that truth. On the contrary, genuine intellect, genuine intellect could be open to perceiving the limitations of intellect. The mind could understand and could come to the realization of its own limitations. And be open, your mind should be wide open to perceive realities that really transcend the mind. That there is a reality that totally transcends the mind. How the mind is so limited. Our finite understanding, our defined, limited understanding, the whole universe that we exist in of words and concepts, time, space, past, present, future, numbers, concepts, all of this is so limited. And life itself is infinite. God is infinite and therefore we cannot possibly perceive or grasp something that's beyond. But the mind could appreciate its limitations and the mind could be open to perceive a transcendent reality. So the mind could reach its limits. The mind can understand its limits. And then the mind becomes open to a truth that transcends the mind. The mind realizes that I am not the ultimate arbiter. I, am not, I don't play God. I don't think I am God. That's why a Jew wears a yarmulke. You don't think that your mind is God. There's something above your mind. You don't think that your limited understanding and conception, that's the beginning and the middle and end of all reality. And what our mind understands is nothing. It's just a drop in the ocean, not even a slice of life removed from the ocean which already distorts the whole, the whole reality. Our whole perception is already off and distorted and limited, inherently limited. As science today has come to the realization, brilliant mind, the mind itself, science, has come to the realization of the ultimate absolute limitation of the mind. So much so that they don't even offer any absolutes anymore. They say all we know is probabilities, definitions, descriptions, limited relative definitions and descriptions from our limited perspective. All it is is probabilities. We can't say anything for certain. Scientists will tell you, honestly, I don't know anything for certain because, because my whole perspective is so inherently flawed and so inherently limited, it's impossible for me to give you the objective truth or the total truth or the honest truth because I don't see the whole picture. I can see the whole picture. By definition, it's impossible. And the scientist understands this logically and scientifically. And therefore, it opens your mind to perceiving realities that totally blow your mind away that are paradoxical. For example, quantum mechanics, it, it blows your mind away. It's illogical. It's anti-logical. It's illogical. It's irrational. On the, on the electromagnetic level of radiation, it's particles, waves at the same time. It's impossibility. It's like squaring a circle. And yet, that, that's the reality. So the mind, the scientist, has opened himself up to perceive and to absorb and to take in a reality which totally blows the mind away. So it's only when a person's mind is engaged, fully engaged, that a person could really achieve pure faith. Because it's only when the mind is fully engaged and the mind fully understands the limitations of the mind that then the mind becomes open. Your mind becomes open to an infinite reality. And this is the revolution of Hasidus, of Chabad Hasidus, more so than the other Hasidic philosophies. We're not going to be here next week. Next week, Yutas Kislev is the day that Alter Rebbe was liberated from prison, the day that Tanya was published, two years before he was in prison. And he was liberated in Yutas Kislev, the 19th day of Kislev, next Thursday. And the Alter Rebbe was different than all his colleagues because the Alter Rebbe developed a system of Chabad, of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. It's not enough to have faith and to have love and joy and passion and belief in the Rebbe. You have to, charismatic leader, he said it's imperative that every Jew must be fully engaged. Your relationship with God has to be a total relationship. It has to fully engage your mind because each one of us is so different how we process information how we internalize information, how we integrate information, how we relate, how we connect. And unless it engages you as an individual, it doesn't mean anything. Because then the faith is vague, fuzzy, nebulous. It's not a potent, it's not a force in your life. Traditional. Tradition is not a force in your life. It's not real. And the it remains submerged and subconscious. It's not a conscious force in your life. In order to make it a conscious force in your life, you must internalize, you must integrate, you must meditate, you must reflect, you must study, you must learn to the best of your ability. And your mind can be fully engaged and your mind can be on fire. That's the revolution of the Tanya. It's one thing your heart to be on fire. 
Your heart is in flame. Is aflame with a passionate love to Hashem. Fervor. Ecstasy. The Alter Rebbe revolutionized. The Alter Rebbe introduced the concept. Your mind is on fire. Your mind understands godliness. Your mind senses and perceives something that blows your mind away. Totally beyond human definition and description. Something that's infinite. Your mind could be open to an infinite reality and could appreciate it, could be open to it, and that becomes truly mind-expanding. A person who, whose intellect is God, is the ultimate arbiter, who doesn't wear the yarmulke, doesn't have the self-nullification, that person's mind is closed, is a closed-minded person. It's the person of faith, who has a very deep faith, who has a faith in the absolute unity of Hashem, and whose mind doesn't work in cross-purposes and opposite directions, but the mind is also harnessed and the mind is engaged in appreciating this faith and in internalizing this faith, that person's mind expands and that person's faith is internalized and becomes conscious. The faith comes out of the closet, so to speak, and the intellect expands and you become a true intellectual a true thinker, an honest thinker, an objective thinker. And this was the revolution of the Alter Rebbe. And that's why he called the Tanya the Tanya. Why was the Tanya called the Tanya? In our versions, it's not Tanya, but it's a statement by Rabbi Simloi, who was one of the Amaroyim, one of the later teachers. So why does the Alter Rebbe choose a, a, uh, a version which is not accepted? Because the Alter Rebbe is also hinting on a deeper level the Kabbalists tell us that there is a klipa, there is a negative that affects especially intellectuals. So I'm saying the most close-minded, in the name of intellectualism, in the name of science, objectivity, they are the most <laughs> intellectually dishonest people you've ever met in the face of the world. Because even, even when they're confronted with their mistakes, there's no, absolutely no acknowledgement. Maybe I'm wrong. There's no shame. There's no acknowledgement. So it's a very deep, deep, that infects. It's a deep illness. It's a klipa. Yeah, it's a klipa. It's a klipa. What does it mean? is a shell. It's a shell that dark covers up, covers up in the godly soul. It's a klipa, a very deep klipa that infects. It's, it's almost like, like brain cancer. It affects the brain, the mind of intellectuals who become very arrogant, who become very cool and detached. In their Judaism? But it's part of Yetzirah. Yes, but it's a very deep Yetzirah because it's intellectual Yetzirah. It's one thing to have an emotional Yetzirah. Emotional Yetzirah, you know, someone who goes visits prostitutes feels ashamed of himself. You know, it's not like he intellectually creates a whole philosophy to justify it. He just, listen, I'm a human being, I'm a weak person, and therefore I, I, I succumb to weakness. But at least there's intellectual honesty there. This is a very deep Yetzirah. This is the Yetzirah that affects the mind. We intellectualize, you can rationalize anything and everything. You intellectualize murder, you rationalize murder, you justify murder, you praise murderers. This, the Gemara says this about the Klippa? The Kli Kabbalah. Kabbalah. There's a Klippa called Tanya. And this is the antidote, the Alter Rebbe, Chabad, Hasidism, is the antidote to this Klippa. Because Chabad is, is very intellectual, it's very deep, it's very profound. It fully engages your mind, your wisdom, your understanding, your knowledge. You have to really understand these concepts. You have to absorb these concepts. You have to internalize these concepts. You have to meditate very deeply on these concepts. It totally engages your mind. And yet, it causes the intellectual to be on fire. With his faith, with that pure faith, with that innocent faith. Where the intellectual could have the same wisdom, that childlike wisdom, that childlike innocence that childlike purity, who can tell right from wrong, who can cherish their Jewishness, who can be passionately Jewish, not cool and detached and ivory tower and arrogant and dishonest, but be a total Jew, a hundred percent Jew. Just like our faith is, we believe in the unity of God, in the absolute unity of God, the absolute uni unity of God transforms us absolutely and causes us to be a whole Jew. That whatever we do, we do 100%. Just like the simple Jew, the simple Jew knows of no ears. The simple Jew is not detached. Whatever a simple Jew does, they do 100% with their fire, with their soul, with their heart, 
where their mind, there's no holding back, there's no defensiveness, there's no cleverness, there's no embellishments. It's genuine, it's real, it's 100%. That's what Hashem loves, that's what Hashem wants. But how could the intellectual achieve this? We see most intellectuals fail miserably. Most intellectuals are the dumbest people you've ever met in the face of the world. Most intellectuals, it's sad, it's tragic how dishonest they are. The intellect is supposed to be honest. And you find most intellectuals are totally dishonest. And they were wrong in every major subject in our, take, just take our century alone. They were wrong about communism. They were wrong about every single subject under the sun. And they were an, the, wrong, the wrong side on every single major issue that affected our lives the last hundred years. And without any regret or, or, or shame or apologies. apologies or did they learn anything from their experience? Zero. That's the klipa? That's a klipa. It's a tremendous klipa. It's a terrible klipa because it, they can't see truth. They can't acknowledge truth. They can't acknowledge the truth of Hashem. The warmth, the simple warmth that a simple Jew has to Hashem. The sincerity. The warmth, how a simple Jew worships Hashem. How a simple Jew approaches Hashem with humility. Moses received the Torah, the greatest Torah intellect. He was the most humble person that lived. The warmth, the sincerity, the, 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 the simplicity, the, the core, basic, fundamental truth, which are so simple. It, it really comes from assimilation, doesn't it? No, it doesn't, no. Only, it doesn't only affect, it even affects Torah Jews, even very religious Jews. It comes from the klipa, the ego, arrogance. Intellect is ego. Intellect, the assumption of intellect is I. I am brilliant. Talk to any intellectual. If you have any doubts, and they'll tell you how brilliant they are <laughs> and how smart they are. They are detached, they move, remove themselves, and they understand, and they have profound minds, and they do have, and they're able... But the arrogance is already a distortion. It's already a distortion. They can't see, they can't see clearly. can't see clearly, because the ego gets in the way. And the greater the intellect, the greater the ego. So it's a very deep, because you rationalize it. A person who's not so smart cannot create rationalizations. So you do something wrong, you're embarrassed, and you move on. You're ashamed. A person who's smart, the smarter you are, the cleverer you are. And the more you create rationalization, and the more dishonest you are. It's amazing. The most brilliant people, or the most arrogant people, are the, are the most foolish people in the world. They don't see anything about themselves. So everyone else can see. It's all glaring. They can't see. It's It's much deeper. It's an ego. It's a negative thing. It's something that affects, infects their soul. It affects them. And this is the antidote. The Tanya is the antidote. Because the Alter Rebbe says, intellect. Not only doesn't intellect have to be a contradiction to faith, that pure faith, that absolute faith, that innocence, that purity, that wholesomeness, that, that core, that essence. But on the contrary, intellect cannot be a contradiction. Why? Because the truth is, what does faith tell us? There is nothing else but God. That same God created the intellect. So how could the intellect be in conflict with its source, which is faith? So not only isn't intellect a conflict, on the contrary, intellect could, could marry and could merge with faith. And on the contrary, when you marry intellect with faith, you have a tremendous marriage, it's a marriage made in heaven. Why? Because each one of these on their own has a, has a liability, has a drawback. Faith on its own has a drawback, as the Talmud says. The ganif, the thief, prays to God, he should be successful in his nice work. You run to shul, you open the eyes, and say, Hashem, please... I'm stealing this precious diamond today. Please make sure it goes very well. So how can you pray to Hashem, believe in Hashem, and pray sincerely, and at the same time, how can you steal? Or to put it in other words, the Talmud doesn't put it in these words, unfortunately, how is it that religious people are not honest in business? Some religious people. Yeah. It's a contradiction. How can you be religious, keep Shabbos, and at the same time be dishonest? Not treat your employers properly, not treat your employer, employer, employer properly. Whatever, right, exactly, yeah. How is it? It's a, con it's a contradiction. So if you believe in Hashem, so that's the problem with faith. Faith has a drawback. Faith is inherently limited. Because faith is, remains very vague, very subconscious. It doesn't affect your life. It doesn't change you. It's in the back of your mind. Of course I have faith, but it doesn't affect your behavior. Because you have faith, and yet your behavior hasn't changed one bit. You're a gunner, you're a lowlife, you're a cheat. So... So what's the, what's, the, what's the point of the So the faith is subconscious, but it doesn't affect your life. That's the problem with faith. The problem with intellect, we don't need to elaborate on the problem with intellect. We have been at the receiving end of the problem with intellect. The Germans, the German culture and German civilization was the most advanced, was the house of university. 
the seat of the university, of modern, of modern Europe, of the Enlightenment. And look, the Germans, the Germans became the biggest beasts. And you don't have to go back 60 years in history. Look today. Look at the whole world, the whole so-called civilized world, so-called. As the previous Lubavitcher ever you say, just because people walk around with, with pants, it doesn't mean that, that, that they're mentioned. Pure pants doesn't make a person a mensch. The so-called civilized world with the ties and with the suits all praised Arafat as if he was... <laughs> how they gang up against Israel. How they sympathize with the so-called freedom fighters. And the, I mean, what does that tell you? That tells you the drawback, the limitations of intellect. Are intellectually dishonest. You see the drawbacks of intellect doesn't lead a person to a moral life. How with their intellect they justify justified the burning alive of Jewish babies. There's no sympathy. When that mother was shot with her five children, a point blank. The New York Times, oh, terror, uh, settlers. Those settlers, those criminals, the worst criminals in the world, the settlers. What's that crime? That they settled in the land of Israel. I mean, that's, that's, those settlers were murdered, not by terrorists, oh, God forbid. By freedom, militants, freedom fighters, every, they, they opened the, the thesaurus and they found every, every adjective except calling a spade a spade. This is corruption. This is intellectually dishonest. This is, this is rotten to the core. So you see that intellect doesn't lead a person to morality. The Pope praised Arafat. Exactly. So what does that tell you? They're rotten to the core. So the intellect doesn't mean anything. Intellect doesn't lead a person to morality and ethics. Who are the biggest self-hating Jews? Who are the self-hating Israelis who day in, day out are constantly punishing and maligning and insulting and blood libels against Jews and settlers and, and praising the wonderful Arabs? It's just mind-boggling. Are the intellectuals, the media, the university, the cultural elite? So intellect doesn't mean morality. On the contrary, in most cases, intellects are arrogant, ivory tower, out of touch with reality, out of touch with truth, out of touch with common sense, out of touch with everyone who arrogantly look down at the masses. The truth is the masses, there's tremendous wisdom in the masses. The ma masses have more wisdom than all of these ivory, ivory tower intellectuals, self-appointed elite, legends in their own mind, because they, they have an instinct. People have an instinct for truth. Now, so what do you do? You have, we know the drawbacks of faith, and we know the drawbacks of intellect. So the Alter Rebbe, ingeniously, Alter Rebbe was the first one to really marry the two. Not only aren't they in conflict, not only does a man of faith have to suppress his faith, as in other Hasidism, like, like, like in Breslev and other Hasidism, it was like a person should just have pure faith, innocent faith, like a, like, like a simpleton, like a child, childish faith. That's not the Alter Rebbe's approach. Alter Rebbe did not compromise on intellect. Al-Tarebi was Chabad, brilliance. Celebrate brilliance. Don't, don't denigrate brilliance. Celebrate brilliance. Develop your brilliance. Develop your mind. Every aspect of your mind. Chachma, Bina, Das, your right brain, your left brain, your integrative brain. Fully, totally develop your mind. Learn, study, think deeply. Be honest. Be intellectually honest. And yet, Al-Tarebi showed us, and he sacrificed his life to develop this new path in Judaism. He paved the path by his sinning in prison and being released in prison. He opened a new path to Hashem where intellect is not a contradiction to faith. On the contrary, where they totally merge and marry each other, where one complements the other. Because the intellect brings the faith out of the closet, so to speak. Because the faith is subconscious, it's nebulous, it's vague, it's fuzzy, it has no impact in your life. By internalizing the faith, integrating the faith, trying to find your own language, to, to find the language to get into the faith, to get deeper into the faith and to understand it and to relate to it on a personal level by first understanding it in your own mind, individually, as you understand things and make sense of things. And at the same time, you also elevate the intellect because then the intellect becomes open to a whole new world. The intellect becomes open to a truth that transcends the intellect. The intellect is open to realities that don't necessarily fit into intellect, because intellect is too defined, too limited, too narrow. But the intellect realizes that, and the intellect becomes open, and suddenly the intellect becomes a net with which you can fish and you can catch things which otherwise would elude the intellect. Without faith, 
it would elude you. You would never even guess. You would never even suspect that there are realities, parallel universes, deeper realities, infinite, that are totally beyond your grasp. But that is the truth. That is the source of all reality, including the intellect. And once the intellect becomes open to that truth, the intellect it expands the intellect. It, expand, it truly expands your mind. You truly become open-minded. So ironically, the Chabadnik, the Chabad Chassid, whose Chachma Binadaz, is the one who truly has an open mind, an expanded mind, and a vibrant, powerful faith that becomes a joyous part of your daily life, becomes active in your life on a daily basis. Every day you do a mitzvah with joy, with love, with feeling, with passion, with connection. You anticipate, you eagerly look forward to a mitzvah. You don't do it out of guilt. You don't do it because mechanically or by rote. You do it, you're alive. You're, you become a Jew that comes to life. You're alive. You're a vibrant Jew. You're a passionate Jew. You're a joyous Jew. Just like the Jews have been for 3,800 years, which is why we've survived 3,800 years. Because Judaism to us was never mechanical or rote, by rote. It was alive, it was meant the life to us, it meant the whole world to us, it was everything to us, it was our life. The Torah was a way of life, not something that, that's just superficial and external. Unfortunately, without Hasidus, without Tanya, without Hasidus Chabad, you can go to Yeshiva for 20 years. And then they graduate and go into business and you ask him, tell me about God. Five minute discussion, if you're lucky. Tell me about the stock market. If you have a few days, I'll tell you. So what does that mean? It's not real. God is just an abstraction. I can tell you the mechanics. I can tell you the techniques. I can tell you the Talmud and the legal and the halacha. But the soul of Torah, that the faith is something I can discuss, I can engage in, I can describe, I can explain, I can show you how I internalize, how I integrated it, what it means, how it's relevant in my life. That I have nothing to talk about. It's nothing to say. I believe in God. End of story. It's like one of the first Hasidim, don't forget the first generation of Hasidim, they had no precedence. They did not grow up Hasidim. So many of them ran away from their homes, you know, and they rebelled and they went to study by the Hasidic masters. One such was Ablevitsuk Badditcher, who became one of the great Hasidic masters. He ran away. He was studying by this yeshiva, by this genius, and he was considered his best student. And he heard about the Hasidic movement. He ran to Rabbi Dovber. Comes back a few years later. His father says, why did you run away? What did you learn there that I didn't teach you? He says, well, I learned that there's a God in this world. He says, really? You learned that there's a God in this world? And for this you ran away from home? And from your, and from your advanced academy of Talmud? He called in the maid, Sarah, is there a God in this world? He says, Avada, of course. So he says, you see, even Sarah the maid knows there's a God in this world. So this he had to run away for two years. So Olivia Sobadisha smiled and she said, she is saying it, but I know it. It's a big difference. Yeah, you ask any Jew. I believe in God. Yeah, period. Next. End of story. That's not belief in it's God. It's funny because I've heard that same exact story. Maybe you told it before. I don't remember. But my question is, he says he knows, but wouldn't that make him just as much of a slave in his ignorant arrogance as the other intellect where he's, where he's claiming truth? And any kind of claim to truth itself is an arrogant comment, making itself just as making you just as, in the same exact place the other intellectual person is. So no, no, have... no. But I'll tell you, no, it's a big difference. If a person, if intellect is based on I, yes, I agree with you. What's the difference? This I, that I, that's based on arrogance. But an an, an intellect that's based on bittel and self nullification, not I. There's something greater than I. That's truth. <laughs> that's, that's, that's genuine truth. Because you're in touch with something greater than yourself. Anything that's, that's rooted in I, you're right. Every I will build different gods in their own image and create different religions and different gods in their own image. But anything that's based in that I, that I don't exist, that it's not about me, that there's something greater than I and something greater than all of us put together, and in which we are rooted in, in which is our source, and we're, we're a small part of, and we're part of something greater than ourselves, that's truth. That's real truth. Because you've risen above yourself, you've, and, and you're in touch with the real truth. That's not egotistical. So, if, you're, if it's not self-involved, then it's truth, but that statement in itself, thinking that you have the right thing, like we think, like basically saying, like, we think we know it, isn't that like a contradiction? It's like a paradox, like... 
you're saying that I'm right, you're wrong, because just because it's not like the whole action and the whole entire like concept in itself isn't self-involved, that doesn't mean that we don't think we're right. So, and that it's egotistical because just because I'm I, my actions and like what I think and stuff. No. Okay. Do you so yeah, I understand what you're saying, but the it's on the contrary. What we're saying is that. Yes, truth is something that's greater than all of us put together. But the fact that we can seek the truth and the fact that we can tells us that ultimately we'll be able to find the truth because since the truth is that there's no other reality but God, so God has allowed us, has enabled us, enabled our minds to somewhat perceive that truth and to appreciate that truth and to digest that truth and to internalize that truth. In other words, the belief in God doesn't have to exclude me that if there's a truth, I have no way of knowing it. No. The very foundation of Judaism is that we believe in the prophet. God speaks to a prophet. If there's a truth, then a human being could also, despite all our flaws and our limitations, God communicates with a human being. And we have a way of knowing truth. Because we have, firstly, we have a, we have a conscience within us. Where does the conscience come from? The conscience comes from the spark of God within us. Because how do we know right from wrong? Because, we, because there's a God. That's why we know right from wrong. So the, God made himself known, made himself available to us. Because if God is the absolute truth, then God has to be able to be known, even for human beings who are flawed and limited and defined. So on the contrary, the fact that God allowed us to genuinely know him, appreciate him, worship him, praise him, and serve him, this is... This is an expression of that truth. This is part of that truth. Because it doesn't mean that there's a truth. I have no way of knowing it. And it's my truth. No. The truth, there is an absolute truth. And there's an absolute truth. And we have an instinct. We have a consciousness. We have an instinct. It's not just intellectually. It's not just emotional. It's not just practical. It's, it's all of us. Every fiber of our being, every bone in our body knows this truth. Ultimately, ultimately, it's the Jew who knows this truth. Because the Jew knows God with every fiber of his being and every bone in his body. That's why the Jew was chosen to be the conscience of the world. That's why the Jew stood at Mount Sinai. And it's the Jew's mission to spread the Torah to the whole world, to teach the non-Jews the seven Noahide laws. Because ultimately, there's no way of really knowing truth. Because we are, by definition, on the outside. So we can't really, fully, totally, truly know truth. But God gave us a piece of himself, the Jewish soul. And therefore, we know God absolutely. 100%, and therefore, it's not just intellectually, philosophically, mystically. We know God with our whole lifestyle. We know God by our miraculous survival, 3,800 years. We know God, everything about the Jews speaks godliness, miraculous, that there is an existence of, that, 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 that there is a God and points its finger to God. And therefore, truth is all-encompassing. You're right, truth is not just intellectual. If someone just approaches truth intellectually and says, I know truth, and puts down other people, then that's not truth. Truth is not just intellectual. Truth is, is total. Truth is all-encompassing. Truth is the total way of life. Truth is the Torah. That's truth. There, there is no other truth. Truth is a total, 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 total reality. It has to engage every part of you, every fiber of your being, every bone in your body. That's why truth is like marriage. Marriage is the only area in your life that totally engages you. Every fiber of your being and every bone in your body. God married the Jewish people at Mount Sinai. That's when he revealed his truth. My question lies in his father. He runs away from his father to learn God. So he's basically saying to his father, I couldn't learn God from you. Which means that I don't think that you know it. I, I don't understand. Like that, I just think I understand. No, it just means that, it's that, that that world where he came from was that intellectual world that we described earlier. Very brilliant very technically, mechanically bright and brilliant and, and logical and Talmudic and, and halachic, but without the soul, soulless. And since we have a spark of God within us, the spark of God was just not, was yearning for something truth, and that, this wasn't truth. This was detached, cold, mechanical, and automatically, inherently, it's already wrong. The whole approach of life that I am detached is already a distortion. Scientists tell us when you go deeper into the, into the atomic level of reality, 
you can't separate the observer from the observed. The observer changes the observed reality. You don't know where the subjective ends and objective begins. It's all connected. This whole dichotomy between subjective, objective, body, soul, physical, spiritual, east, west, this is all man-made. This is all artificial, external, superficial. When you get to the core truth, truth is absolute. It's total. It's all-encompassing. It's, it's like, it's like, it's like uh, intimacy, sexuality. It's total. It's a total reality. And that's why that's, that's what brings down the infinite blessing from God. Only from there could you get children, which is infinite. Because that, that's why marriage is so holy. Because that's the only thing that really is an all-encompassing reality. And that's what happened at Mount Sinai. God revealed himself to the Jewish people, gave himself totally without any reservations. He invested his essence in Torah and mitzvah. Every time a Jew studies Torah, whether it's a five-year-old child studying a Rashi in the Torah, or it's a 99-year-old rabbi who's studying a deep, deep passage in the Talmud or Kabbalah, any Hashem invested his essence in the Torah. You're touching the essence of Hashem. And a Jew responds in kind. Just like Hashem gave of us without any reservations, we give of ourselves. We will do and then we will listen. We give of ourselves without reservations, wholeheartedly, sincerely, with our heart, with our mind. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your being, with everything that you have, because it's a total relationship. And the Jew is really the only creature in the universe that really is about totality. It's about absolute, total. Shema Yisrael, Hashem, Hashem, God is one an absolute reality, and we respond absolutely. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul. It's not just intellect. It's not just emotion. It's not just practical. It's everything. There's no part of us that's left out of the equation. And that's why the Torah, the Torah is all-encompassing. And that's really the re reason for anti-Semitism. If you think about it, what is the real reason for anti-Semitism? Consciously, subconsciously. What's really asked earlier? Why are they all ganging up in Israel? Yeah, little tiny country. Little tiny country. Little tiny Jew. Hardly any Jews in this world. Why is the whole world, six billion people, all gang up in Israel and Jews? Because the Jew, right, jealousy. But what's the real reason for the jealousy? Because the Jew has truth. The truth is all-encompassing. We have a Torah. The Torah deals with every single aspect of reality. There's not a single aspect of reality, whether it's government, finance, business, relationships, art. There's not a single aspect in reality every human experience possible that the Torah does not relate to, guide us, instruct us, illuminate us. Because the Torah is all-encompassing. It's a total way of life. It's not just Sundays or Fridays compartmentalized. It's a total truth. It's a total way of life. We have a total truth and a total way of life that no one in the world has. You can have religion. You can have mysticism. But that's compartmentalized. This is a total way of life. It's all-encompassing. And there's a jealousy. Within the Jewish community itself, you have the Hasidic movement, the same jealousies. You have the Misnagdim who always were jealous of the Hasidim and opponents, called themselves opponents of the Hasidim for the same reason. Because a Hasid also has, it's also that jealousy, because a Hasid also has an all-encompassing way of life. A Hasid has a philosophy, an underlying philosophy that underlies everything that we do. What's that philosophy? Those three Hebrew words. Ein, oid, movade. There is no other reality but God. And this, this encompasses everything that we do. It's expressing the unity of God, the absolute unity of God, the transcendence and the total reality of Hashem. That explains everything that it fully engages us, our mind, our heart, our body, our soul. And this is something that someone who doesn't have chassid, someone who doesn't study Tanya, someone who's not privileged to be exposed to this thinking, doesn't have it. And his life is very fragmented. And therefore he's very jealous. He could be a brilliant Talmudic mind, but he's very jealous. He sees a chassid, the chassid is on fire. There's something about the chassid. There's a coherency, there's a centeredness, there's a connection. It all comes together. It's not like a disparate, a nice vartir, a nice story here, a nice parable here. There's a coherency, there's a connection. We're coming from somewhere, it's all leading somewhere to Mashiach. There's an underlying theme that connects it all, and they're jealous. They sense it, consciously, subconsciously. So this is the foundation, the foundation of reaching, of developing a relationship with God. The foundation is a pure faith. But the only way to achieve pure faith is when the faith not only isn't the faith in contradiction and conflict with the intellect, but the intellect is put to service of the faith. When the intellect is used to bring the faith, to allow the faith to emerge and surface in a conscious level, and the intellect, to its maximum capacity, fully realizes, it dawns on the intellect, it dawns on you, and you appreciate it, the limitations of the intellect. 
And therefore it expands your mind and you become open to truths and to realities that totally eluded you before. You had no clue, you had no idea that these realities even exist. And then the mind becomes open and the mind can begin to perceive, feel and perceive the infinite. And then the mind is set on fire. That's a chassid. A chassid is one who's not only as hard as on fire, especially a Chabad chassid, a Babish chassid. It's not only someone who's as hard as on fire. But something very novel. The mind is on fire. The mind is blown away by godliness. The mind is warm. The mind is a warmer. Instead of being a cold intellectual, a cold fish, a piece of ice that's self-hating, that's arrogant, the mind is on fire. The mind is a warm Jew. Powerful intellect. Powerful thinking. But pure faith. Simple faith. Real faith. Genuine faith. A warm Jew a heartwarming Jew, a wholesome Jew, a Jew who loves his fellow Jew, a Jew who is ready to sacrifice his life for Hashem, a Jew who is uncompromising on his beliefs, uncompromising on truths, uncompromising on the security of Israel, uncompromising on our Jewishness, who has strength, who has backbone, who has guts, who has courage, who can see truth, and, and who has the courage to stand up for truth. Truth is truth, and truth will always win out at the end of the day, but truth needs a little help. You have to have the courage to say it. Once the truth comes out, it's too late. Then everyone sees it, you know. Of course, yeah, of course. Everyone rewrites history. Everyone says, yeah, really? I was there from day one, sure. It's to say the truth when it's not popular to say the truth. When it takes courage to say the truth. When it's not clear. Things are never clear. It's always blurry. You have to have the strength not to conform. To have that rebellious spirit. To have that stiff-necked spirit. The Jews are stiff-necked people. Stubborn people. Have that stubbornness and that stiff-neckedness to stand out. And don't be afraid. Stick to your guns. Stand up for principle. Stand up for conviction. Popular, not popular. That's, that's what courage needs. But that could only happen when your mind is on fire. Because when your mind is on fire, then you also have the language. You have the language to describe the soul. Unfortunately, unfortunately, Simple Jews have the healthy instinct, but they don't have the language. When they encounter great so-called pseudo-intellectuals that come with great seemingly logical arguments, they just close their mouth. They have nothing to say. They know in their heart that they're wrong, and if they have to vote, they'll vote the truth, and the truth will always win, but they're lost. They don't have the language to counter it. But the Chabad Chassid, the one whose mind is on fire, he can find the language to counter all the nonsense and all the ridiculousness and the absurdities and the total nonsense that's coming out of the pseudo-intellectuals of the so-called intellectual elite and the lies and the distortions and the upside-down thinking and the crookedness and the upside-down thinking and the arrogance. And he has the language not only to stand up to what's truth but to also articulate it and to express it and to express faith and express faith proudly and, and uh, correctly. So that's the marriage. This is the revolution of the Alter Rebbe. The revolution of the Hasidic movement within the Hasidic movement, of the Chabad movement, who was able to marry intellect with faith. And this is the winning combination. This is really the only way for the Alter Rebbe felt very strongly about this. That the only way for a Jew to be a whole Jew, a total Jew, especially in today's day and age, when the ghetto walls came down, and you can't just, just rely on pure innocent faith without any education, because Jews are highly educated today, and unless they have a very deep, sophisticated, profound understanding of godliness, and have the language to articulate that warm faith, that passionate faith, that powerful faith, and unless they can internalize it and relate to it on the personal level, then this is, this is critical in our day and age. So the Chabad approach is not just a luxury, it's not just icing on the cake. It's not just another path, an interesting path. There's many paths to Hashem, an interesting path. The Alter Rebbe felt that this is the path. This is the way for all Jews today. It's critical for all Jews who want to be vibrant Jews, healthy Jews, profound Jews, deep Jews. And at the same time, being modern and with it and, and open-minded and intellectual and smart, the way for them not, to, to not only maintain their passion and their fire and their warmth, but to actually be a fully integrated person and a fully integrated Jew, it's only through the Chabad way of marrying intellect and faith.
Doesn't neshama normally yearn to Hashem? I mean, yes, but the neshama is, is is a lot of clippers, a lot of shells that. Uh, Did you see lately the Time magazine that they feel is a DNA that the God gene, the person yearns for the Creator? Because there's a soul, um, you know. Maybe maybe there is, maybe there isn't, but that's just a physical reflection of of, of what's going on inside. You know? Uh, everything in the physical world is just a reflection of what's going on inside. You know, if they're trying to explain away, just using a biological explanation for something, you know, that's that's. But um, so, where does the klipa Hashem created this world with the klipa? It's called ego. Yes, we're born with it. It's a klipa, a shell that covers up in it, and you have to. It's natural. No one has to go to school to be egotistical. Mm-hmm. Six billion people all learn naturally to be self selfish, self centered, self absorbed, indulgent. It comes very natural to us. It's the most natural thing in the world. No one has to work hard this, on being selfish and self-centered it's and indulgent. The animal soul and the Fun, right? And but education to develop, to nourish, to nurture your divine, to appreciate the divine, that takes education. That takes effort. It doesn't come, that doesn't come natural because the godly soul is there, but it's like a diamond. Where did God put diamonds? In the earth, it's buried, it's covered. You have to polish the diamond. It doesn't come natural. No, you don't. You don't walk and suddenly it's a natural diamond. Hashem created. You have potential. Mine, polish, clean, and you'll have a diamond, something precious. But you have to do it. You know what the young lady was referring to before. I picked up on also his answer that the maid maid says it, but I know it is is the the ultimate ego drift. He didn't really say it right no. to the Father. No, he was explaining what Hasidus, Hasidus does. The whole point of Hasidus is it's not enough to say, I believe in God, I know God. He asked any Jew, yeah, of course I believe in God. End of sentence, end of story. There's nothing more to say. He says, that's not enough. I have to know God. Because if, you're, if it's a serious relationship, you have to know. It has to engage you. And if it doesn't engage you fully, it doesn't, then it's not real. So when the Jew says, I have faith, and every Jew has faith, he didn't, he didn't put down Sarah's faith, the maid's faith. Her faith was a genuine faith, but it's, 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 it's not real in her life. Yeah, God exists, but so what? In order for God to be real in your life, you have to know God. You have to engage your mind. You have to think about it. You have to, you have to internalize it. You have to integrate it. And you could know God. Faith doesn't mean that, no, you can't approach God with knowledge. Because then you would say that there's no way for me to know God, that I have no way of making a relationship with God. Faith is faith, and I am... But God made himself known. God made himself available known. And that's a direct result of faith. Because if you have faith, you realize that if God is absolute and God is everywhere, then God has to be even in the mind. You can't say God can't flourish in the mind. Anyone who by definition is intellectual has no real connection with God, cannot approach God using the mind. No, it's impossible. Because if God is, permeates all reality, there's no other reality but God, then God has to be even in the world of the mind. I have to be able to approach God. Actually, the mind is proof of God. The, the mind itself. Right, it's the greatest miracle. It's, it's, yeah, it's proof that uh, it could only be created by God. Absolutely. First of the, firstly, the mind, the whole assumption of the mind is order, to seek order in everything, you know. It's, you know, that's not a logical position. Logical position is that everything should be chaos. <laughs> the fact that the mind seeks to order everything and define everything and seeks order in everything and definition, that alone is really, if you think about it, it's not a logical assumption. The whole thing is divine. It's because Hashem created an orderly world and therefore we try to find the unity in everything. We try to find the order behind everything, underlying logic behind everything, underlying reason behind everything. But the whole logical approach, the whole assumption of the logic is really an illogical approach. A logical approach would be chaos. Why? Who says, why is there's no up, but there's no down. There's no, it's, not, it's all relative. It's no real. It's not real. And yet the mind seeks order in everything, seeks definition in everything. So that alone is really a divine position. So you're right. If you really think about it, you realize that everything is divine. Where's the mind rooted from? Where's it come from? It comes from the divine. And that's why it seeks order. And that's why it seeks the underlying unity of everything because it's rooted in unity, in the unity of God. But that takes a truly open-minded person to realize that. Where the mind leads you to unity, to bittle, to, to self-nullification, to giving up your ego, losing your ego. Where the mind strengthens your soul. 
the mind strengthens your self-nullification, which seemingly goes contrary to what the mind is all about, because the mind is about ego, I. The intellectuals are the most arrogant, most egotistical people, and they have something to show for their ego. Many people are egotistical and they have no rhyme and no reason. Here, there's something to show. I'm egotistical because I'm brilliant, because I'm, 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 I'm head and shoulders above the average person. I'm bright and I'm brilliant and I'm, I'm intellectual and I'm deep and I'm profound and I'm this. If you have any doubt, they'll be the first to tell you. But they have something to justify. That they're like rich. Intellectually, they're rich. They have something to boast about. But they're the most impoverished because a true and honest intellect who's connected to the source, who's connected to the source of intellect, will become godly and humble and, 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 and honest and open and truthful and and won't be afraid to lose their detachment. The biggest fear that an intellectual has is to lose his cool, lose his detachment. I am not going to lose my detachment. By definition, I'm an intellect. I observe. I assimilate. I observe. I take it all in. I make sense of it. I categorize it. I order it. I lie, you know, I'm logical about it. For an intellectual to lose himself, to become absorbed and to lose himself, it goes against the grain of intellect. He wouldn't be called an intellectual anymore. Oh, but that's what Chabad, Chabad accomplishes. The Chabad Chassid is an intellect and at the same time becomes totally absorbed within godliness. He's not afraid to, to be a fiery Jew, a wholehearted Jew, a passionate Jew, to do it 100% without any reservation. And at the same time, totally develop his mind, his intellect. It seems a contradiction, but the truth is it isn't. Intellect and faith work harmoniously together. Because where does intellect come from? It comes from God. So, how can, so not only can't it be a contradiction to God, it must be able to work in harmony. But this was a revolutionary path that the Rebbe broke open. It didn't exist before him. And he paved the way, he wrote the book, he showed us the way. And with every successive generation of Chabad Rebbe's, they further develop this path and develop this path until the Rebbe, the, the ultimate, the Shabbos, the seventh Rebbe, the Shabbos of all the Rebbe's, really totally developed this path where a chassid is totally um, self-sufficient, um, take, take the initiative, be on his own, and at the same time, his life is all about being a shliach, an emissary. It's not about ego, it's not about I, it's total dedication and devotion to help, to live for another Jew and to help other people and to forget about yourself and um, you know, to, to ignite that spark within other Jews and to show other Jews the way out to be total Jews, 100% Jews, passionate Jews. So this is the path of the Alter Rebbe. It all began in Yutas Kislev. What was the message of the Baal Shem Tov? And what did... The Baal Shem Tov, this is the message of Baal Shem Tov with Alter Rebbe. Took it, it took it to the ultimate level. The Alter Rebbe, the Baal Shem Tov showed us that it's possible. That showed us the, the po possible. The Alter Rebbe showed us the way, how the average Jew could accomplish it and could achieve it. The Baal Shem Tov didn't live to see this. No, but he he saw the Alter Rebbe when he was three years old. He met him once, and uh, he knew that Alter Rebbe is going to make a new path within within the Hasidic movement, and he blessed him, and. Um, you know, the Baal Shem Tev gave Judaism back to Jews. You know, before the Baal Shem Tev, Judaism was the authorities kept their, you know, they put themselves in charge of Judaism, the intellectual elite, the authorities, the, the, those who suffer from the clip of Koltanya that we discussed earlier. And they were very arrogant and they were inapproachable, an ivory tower, and they put down the simple Jew. And the Baal Shem Tev taught that... Um, he brought Judaism back to Jews, that every Jew owns their Judaism. Every Jew is a total Jew, full-fledged Jew. But the Alter Rebbe took it to the ultimate level. The Alter Rebbe showed the path, how each and every one of us could achieve it by fully and totally engaging every fiber of our being, every bone in our body, first and foremost, our intellect, our conscious mind, by, uh, through wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, by fully learning and and uh, meditating and reflecting on the truths of godliness until we internalize and integrate it, that's how we develop a relationship with Hashem. So this is the foundation of the introduction to the Shara Yechid of the gateway 
of unity and faith, explaining logically the idea of unity, the unity of God, the absolute unity of God, which leads a person to faith, the pure faith, after you've achieved the maximum that the human mind could, could achieve, and the human mind becomes open and is able to perceive a reality that transcends the mind, the pure faith that every Jew naturally and instinctively is born with, until you perceive that faith, and that faith becomes a force in your life. It moves you forward, it changes your life, it elevates you, it inspires you, and then you, then you become a, a living Jew. You come alive as a Jew. Not just done something mechanically by rote, but you come alive. You become a passionate Jew, a joyous Jew, a vibrant Jew, and uh, a Jew that looks forward, eagerly looks forward each and every day to express their Jewishness each and every day, putting on tefillin, lighting a candle, giving tzedakah, studying a little Torah, doing a favor for your fellow Jew, teaching the non-Jews the seven Noahide laws, and living your life as a Jew each and every day of your life. Lessons in Tanya, taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. For more Tanya study, please visit our website at www.lessonsintanya.com.